Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host Viz from Walking Dead Now. Want to welcome all of our viewers today all over the world. If you're joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. If you haven't already done so, please visit us on YouTube. Our channel's name is Walking Dead Now. Please go ahead and subscribe if you have yet to do so. If you're there right now, it would be greatly appreciated if you hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. Let's go ahead and welcome some of our viewers tonight. Cat is with us on YouTube. Khaleesi, Cece Weezy is with us. AJ is with us. Ronaldo is with us on Facebook. Lindsay Sparks is with us on Facebook as well. Andrew Valentine is with us on Instagram. Goldie Singh is with us also, saying I'm so happy to see you live. I know, it's been a while. It's good to see you back on the live show as well. You've been watching it on the reruns. The reruns or the replays. <laughs> Millie is with us. Jimmy is waving at us. Uh, Bun is also waving at us on Instagram. Jimmy is saying hello. So what would you guys think of our guest yesterday? Uh, you know, Eleanor Matsura, who plays Yumiko. It was an excellent interview. I had so much fun talking. Grace is with us on Facebook. Welcome, Grace. Uh, you know, Eleanor Matsura, who plays Yumiko on The Walking Dead, was our guest yesterday. Uh, we were on five hours earlier than normal, and it was just a great interview. It was just so fun talking to Eleanor. She's such a wonderful person, and I'm so glad I got the opportunity to talk to her and I'm definitely you know, going to ask her to come back to the show at some point in the future as well. So I hope you guys got to see it. If you missed it, you could always go to our YouTube channel and see that interview as well as all of our other prior episodes, which included many interviews as well. Uh, some upcoming guest announcements. Anne Mahoney, who played Olivia uh, in Alexandria from seasons five through seven, will be joining us live on Thursday, October 29th. So make sure you tune in for that one. Uh, and also on Tuesday, October 27th, we are going to have Michael Abbott Jr., who was in that epic Season 6 Fear the Walking Dead premiere that we saw two and a half weeks ago, almost three weeks ago. Uh, he played Isaac the man who nursed Morgan back to health, removed the bullet from his shoulder before himself dying from a walker bite and his wife giving birth to their daughter, which they named Morgan, which is very cool. So Michael Abbott Jr., who played Isaac, is going to be joining us on Tuesday, October 27th. And there are going to be a lot more interviews announced very, very soon. Uh, it's a process that, you know, contacting people and we're just waiting on final confirmations, but there's going to be a lot more announcements as far as guests go very soon. Like, I mean, very soon. So always, uh, go to our website, deadtalklive.com to always get the latest updates, visit the section called our guests and you will always see the latest uh, information on uh, our upcoming guests. And below that, you will see all our prior guests as well. So, 
Anyway, uh, moving on to some different stuff. Let's get on to some news and announcements. Uh, you know, I love reading these, uh, what do you want to call them? Theories, hypotheses, whatever you want to call them. But here's one, the CRM hint you missed in The Walking Dead. So I'm fascinated. Let's see what CRM hint we missed in The Walking Dead. The Civic Republic military has played a critical role in all three Walking Dead series so far. And uh, the CRM is a shadowy paramilitary organization that's created highly authoritarian cities across post-apocalyptic United States. While they seem to be playing a central role in the Walking Dead mythology, there is still so much that we don't know about this group. For fans, the CRM is mostly known as the organization that abducted Rick Grimes, resulting in his departure from the main series. Fortunately, we haven't seen the last of Rick, as he's said to appear in a slew of Walking Dead movies set to be released by AMC. Until those films come out, we're left to guess what the CRM's true intentions are. As of right now, it seems as though the creative talents behind the scenes of the franchise are happy to go along with the slow burn approach. After all, the CRM first appeared on The Walking Dead during Season 8, and if you guys don't remember the scene, the first time we saw them was when Rick was walking down the road uh, with his rifle and a helicopter just flies overhead. And that's our first introduction. He has, He's in the middle of fighting a war. Can't really spare too much thought in that. And then we see it again with Jadis when she's about to give up Negan to them as well. It changes her mind. So that's when we were first introduced to the CRM. Um, so anyway, season eight and has only made a handful of appearances in the main series since then. However, the group's presence on the show could be felt back in season seven. One viewer managed to capture the Easter egg hinting at a greater threat lurking in this world. Oh, I got to read what this is. The ring's formation uh, foreshadows the coming of the CRM. During season seven of The Walking Dead, Sherry, played by Christine Evangelista, departs Alexandria, hoping to start a new life with Dwight. One of the few things she brings with her is a cigarette box containing their wedding bands. There's a moment during this sequence where Dwight takes the bands out of the box and they fall into his hands in a similar formation to the CRM logo. Okay, now that could have been done on purpose or it could just strictly be coincidence, guys. I'm not sold on that one. Uh, the logo appears everywhere the CRM goes, particularly on their helicopters. It's a symbol of the three civilizations that make up the CRM, which continue to be a mystery to fans. Now, if you guys remember when we had the star of Walking Dead World Beyond, uh, Iris Bennett, played by Aaliyah Royale, 
she described the three rings as the Civic Republic, Omaha Colony, and Portland Colony. Now, I believe that is what the people in the Omaha Colony, before they were slaughtered in the first episode of World Beyond, were told what those three rings represent. And it all goes back to what I spoke about before the World Beyond premiered, is that each and every one of those rings represent the, uh, the different location inside the United States where the Civic Republic is located. Even though they had the people in the Omaha Colony believing it was Omaha Colony, Portland Colony, and then the Civic Republic. Just another way to be, you know, more manipulative and sneakier, I guess. Um, it's important to note that the scene doesn't necessarily suggest Sherry and Dwight have any affiliation with the CRM. They don't. The rings just randomly fall into Dwight's hand in that pattern. All right. So I guess that's the big thing we missed. The way the rings fall out of the box into Dwight's hand should be a big, like, hint into the foreshadowing of the CRM. Don't buy it. Sorry. Don't buy it. Not even for one bit. All right. The next thing. Norman Reedus on how hard it is to fight a zombie under, under COVID protocols. So not only do these poor people have to deal with a fake virus that turns dead people into human-eating corpses that just like to roam mindlessly. They have to deal doing that on the screen, fighting a real pandemic as well. TV and film productions worldwide have begun adapting to a new normal after the coronavirus pandemic, initially delayed work across the entertainment industry as people return to work Implemented safety measures haven't been anywhere close to perfect. The Batman star Robert Pattinson contracted COVID, as did members of the Jurassic World Dominion production, despite its efforts to pioneer best practices for the industry. Now, The Walking Dead is heading back into action and it's bringing its own innovations to the space, though it remains to be seen how effective they are at keeping its workers healthy. Speaking to Entertainment Weekly, Daryl, played by Norman Reedus, explained some of the techniques the production was using to keep cast and crew safe after starting up filming on the six extra episodes that we're getting in early 2021 in Georgia. The first one, obviously, is masks. Uh, we're being super safe, Rita says. There's a ton of rules now. Everybody uh, is masked up or has shields on. I have a big scar on my face, so that is the, you know, that is the mask doesn't work. So I wear the shield and everybody else wears masks. They take our temperature right off the bat. We get tested three times a week. They do the rapid testing. Pretty par for the course, but The Walking Dead requires action. 
zombie trying to eat somebody action. So how is that addressed when closeness is so necessary? Camera tricks and altered choreography. I just fought with a zombie stuntman last week, Redis explained, and usually you're kind of face-to-face and you can roll around together and have fluid movements and it doesn't hurt your body as much. (laughs) I'm sorry, I just got some weird images flashed through my mind while reading that. But anyway, but but this guy, (laughs) fluid movements. Fluid movements, okay. But this guy had to be away from me and he had to wear a mask on a zombie, which was really weird. But instead of the fluid rolling around sort of style, he has to stiff arm me to get his face out of camera. So it hurt a lot more. I finally got manhandled by a zombie. So there you go. All right. Norman Reedus got manhandled by a zombie. Um, Additionally, the cast is sporting a piece of tech that will help them prevent uh, from spending too much time within other people's bubbles. Be they human or walker, we wear these uh, little tracers in our clothes that will tell us how long we spend in the proximity to another tracer. Never heard of that device. While he didn't elaborate on the exact protocols uh, where for those uh, sensors, being cognizant of the danger is at least the first step. The production just kicked off, so fans will soon know if these safety measures truly kept those working on The Walking Dead safe. Hey, and I'm not a dirty old man, Jason. I was, it just, like I said, it was just a weird comment. Um, HM is with us on Instagram. Mile is giving us a thumbs up. HM is waving. Uh, SRG is waving at us. Uh, Let's see, Stone Walker is with us on YouTube. ZZO is saying hello on YouTube. Uh, so anyway, let's move on to the next thing. Okay, this is a cool one. The Walking Dead mystery. What happened in the beginning? With the arrival of World Beyond, we've been seeing a decent bit more of the beginnings of the zombie outbreak in the Walking Dead universe and the downfall of society. The more of it I see, the more confused I become. Why do I feel that this is going to be a timeline article? Let's see. It feels like every new bit of information I get only makes less sense. Let me start with this, uh, with what prompted this. In last week's episode of World Beyond, we caught a glimpse of Felix's experiences as things began to collapse at the beginning of the apocalypse. Much like with what we saw in The Walking Dead Season 2 episode, uh, Chupacabra, where Shane and Laurie witnessed Atlanta being firebombed by the military as they were stranded in traffic heading into the city, Felix was in the middle of a traffic gridlock while cars crashing, people screaming, and rockets 
being launched into Lincoln, Nebraska. I know that the characters in the world beyond, Felix included, refer to that as the night the sky fell due to planes falling out of the sky. And I've had people suggest to me from what I saw was that. But having rewatched it from what Felix and we see and from the sounds they make and the explosions they cause, I am certain that what Felix saw wasn't planes crashing. I think the explosions are too small, the crowd around Felix doesn't react, and you'd think, even in that kind of scenario, that people would react to a plane plummeting from the sky just overhead. And the whoosh sound seems a hell of a lot more like rockets or missiles launching than a plane dropping out of the sky. Well, one would think, and I certainly did at the time, that was Felix witnessing Operation Cobalt being unleashed on Lincoln, Nebraska. According to showrunner Matt Negrete, who answered the question for Undead Walking, we haven't specifically seen anything in 1 through 3 that is directly tied to Operation Cobalt. At least that is what I'm recalling. But that's not to say we won't be exploring the military's role and how they handled the early days of the outbreak in future episodes. Uh, so this raises the next question. What did we see? I honestly have no idea. I'm clueless as to what that was, if not cobalt. But I was thinking about this. I suddenly remembered something we learned from last season of Fear, specifically the season's fifth episode, The End of Everything. In that episode, we see one of Al's tapes, specifically the one titled The Bog, number seven, where we watch muzzle flashes from a battle. Al explains between the U.S. Army and the National Guard. While this provides zero answers as to what Felix's flashback was showing, it is another aspect of this period in the Walking Dead timeline. There you go, that word, timeline. I knew it was coming up. It was another period in the timeline that leads to my confusion. Well, if you're going to go through the timelines in The Walking Dead, you're going to be left with confusion. Why was that happening? What would cause the Army and the National Guard to go into battle with each other? We, th we saw nothing like this in the first season of Fear, which featured the National Guard pretty prominently in the second half of the season, so this doesn't make much sense. From what I can see, there is a serious gap in the timeline, there we go with that word again, of the beginning of the apocalypse where after things began to fall apart, there was a period where the government was apparently still trying to fight the dead. But then, rather sat rather suddenly, and maybe only in some places, everything began to unravel at lightning speed with all cohesion disintegrating and chaos breaking through. That's why it's called the apocalypse. This is sadly a problem that fear specifically has had from the beginning and one I've railed against for a long time, even in season one. 
We had such gaps where major events in the outbreak were just skipped over. Hell, we went from one episode where the National Guard apparently were holding onto Los Angeles, and on the next episode, they were deciding that L.A. was untenable and that they needed to firebomb the whole city, with only a quick explanation as to why, but little sight of it. Well, when the world is falling apart and the government is in total chaos, as is the rest of the world, it's not that far-fetched to imagine them being the government changing their mind minute to minute. Yeah, let's save L.A. No, let's blow it up. Same thing for Atlanta and every other major city. Uh, Here's what I'm hoping. As World Beyond progresses... We will get more backstory from our characters, showing some glimpse as to what was going on and why it was happening. If we're lucky, we may finally get some explanation as to how the zombie outbreak became a zombie apocalypse in the Walking Dead universe and put an end to this senseless confusion. And listen up, guys. The Walking Dead is not about you know, the start of the apocalypse. It's not. Uh, One of of the movies that I love is World War Z. And what a part of what makes that movie so great is they do a great job of showing how the world starts to fall apart in the first half of the movie. Uh, The Walking Dead is a TV show. It's not really based on, you know, its primary focus being how the world falls apart. It's what happens to humanity in the years following a uh, zombie apocalypse and how they deal with each other. And the dead are just a background thing uh, to explain why civilization fell. So I think whoever wrote that article is really kind of a, uh, just kind of, dig somewhere where he's not going to find any answers to his satisfaction. At least just what I got from reading his article right there. Welcome to Mary61Mom on Instagram. Familia is waving at us, waving at us on Instagram as well, as is Ochi. Welcome, guys. Uh, so let's see what's going on on YouTube. Stone Walker writes, so you think if a Romeo movie was around The Walking Dead, uh, would not have happened. They knew about the brain. No idea what you're talking Oh, Romero. Sorry. Sorry. I thought you wrote Romeo. If you think if if you think if a Romero movie was around The Walking Dead, would the, it would not have happened because they knew about the brain. Yeah, the whole zombie uh, concept doesn't exist in The Walking Dead universe. That's why the word zombie doesn't exist. That's why they call them walkers. And I read a great article several months ago explaining that concept, and not only in The Walking Dead, but just in movies, and how to make a movie be more realistic. They named it something. I forgot what they named it, but it's just a theory that because the movie we're watching is sort of like a different reality than what we're in, it explains why, like in The Walking Dead, the word zombie does not exist. So, 
Uh, anyway, AJ writes, I do the Walking Dead Governor music videos if you want to see it. We'd love to. Send one in. Go to our website, and uh, we have a submission form. You can send in videos. Uh, we do accept uh, video submissions, and if it's really cool, I will post it. So, the next on our list is, where does Lydia stand after season 10? That's a good question. Trying to fit in with her new family, Lydia struggles for acceptance within a group that may never accept her, as well as carrying the burden of her mother's actions. Have propelled Lydia's story all season, but where does Lydia stand at the end of Walking Dead Season 10? Um, of the new characters added in the last two seasons of The Walking Dead, Lydia has become one of my top two favorites. As played by the very talented Cassidy McClincy, we saw her evolution through season 10, going from pawn to finding her own way. Lydia's journey is one she shares in part with four other people, Alpha, Carol, Negan, and to a lesser extent, Daryl. We ha uh, each have impacted her in their own way, and helped her find a way to stand on her own two feet as her own person. And we saw that very well acted out on the screen between Melissa McBride and Cassidy McClincy in the finale. Uh, how Lydia pulls Carol back from the edge of the cliff. And she tells Carol, this is what I choose. This is who I choose to be. And that's an awesome scene and a great moment between the two characters on the show. Uh, Stone Walker writes her and Negan uh, might leave the show together. I don't know. Don't see that happening. Uh, Alpha, as the person that has most impacted Lydia, Alpha has caused a lot of emotional and mental harm to her daughter. Outside of her abusive nature and not being the kind of mother she should have been, Alpha's actions left Lydia in the position to be reviled and feared by members of the various communities. Not fully accepted or trusted, Lydia walks a lonely road to redemption for crimes she never committed. And listen, my point on this is this. If they are willing to let Negan out of jail, as Carol did, and not put him back into jail, even after him killing Alpha, and they're willing to trust him to some degree to leave him out, then, I mean, Lydia has done nothing wrong. Her mother, her mother was the crazy one. Now, let's go back and look at all the crap that Negan did, and, you know... He didn't put him behind bars as soon as he came back. Uh, he killed Alpha, and he's slowly working his way into the group. So the only people that I saw in the finale that were giving grief to Alpha was the was Oceanside, and Beatrice from Oceanside died very violently by the zombies. Uh, so besides Oceanside, I don't think there's anybody left that really holds a grudge, uh, against, uh, Lydia, like Alden. He took out his frustrations on what her mother did 
to uh, Enid out on Lydia. Okay, he was pissed, he was upset, but even him, he accepted her. I think he accepted her. The same goes when uh, Gamma, a.k.a. Mary, and how Alden, uh, you know, was taking care of the baby. And even in that little short time span they had together, uh, and Mary, Gamma, and Alden were together with the baby, and Mary stepped up, locked him in the minivan while she went to distract the walkers away. Alden changed his mind. He didn't want her to sacrifice herself. So if he can accept Mary, who was a spy, a whisperer turned spy, he can most definitely accept Lydia because she has done nothing wrong. So anyway, the mental games Alpha played with her to the point Lydia believed she deserved uh, derision heaped upon her in the finale, we saw instances of women from Oceanside still not accepting her and Lydia's willingness to lead the herd over the cliff, knowing she would probably not survive the encounter. Her self-imposed atonement was to sacrifice herself for the ones Alpha had brought such misery to. Lydia started her journey to freedom from Alpha when she decided to go with Daryl Instead of her mother, after Daryl and Alpha fight in season 10 episode called Stalker, refusing to take up her mother's mantle and lead the Whisperers was the beginning. Using the lessons Alpha ingrained into her, Lydia, Lydia was able to lead the Horde away. More on that later on, but tossing Alpha's mask was the final step towards freedom. But Lydia still has a ways to go to completely overcome everything Alpha has done to her. Alright, now Daryl. Outside of Henry, Daryl was the first one to champion Lydia. Back in Season 9, he was willing to use her along with Tara and Enid to get whatever information he could about the Whisperers. But that quickly changed when he realized she was much more of a victim of Alpha as they all were. Daryl stepped into a big brother slash uncle role for Lydia and fought to help her gain acceptance. Next on the list is Negan. I have to admit, I have a love-hate relationship with Negan that moved from a complete I loathe him to finding him compelling as a character in the 10th season. The bulk of what I find interesting with him is his relationship and understanding of Lydia. Like the young girl, Negan finds himself at a crossroads caught between actions from the past and a need for redemption. In Negan's case, he does deserve the anger, mistrust, and dislike thrown his way. He is trying to make amends and the show is pushing the redemption arc hard for the character, but he isn't there yet. Um, Negan has defended Lydia in the past against those that would abuse her and understands what it means to be an outsider and outcast in the group. He knows he'll never find acceptance by the majority of people and doesn't seem to really care. He encourages Lydia to find a way that works for her 
and is the one to give her Alpha's mask in the finale. So she has a chance to do what only she can do. These two characters can be real with each other in a way they can't be with others because of the shared standing in the community and because of the link they both have with Alpha. Remember, Negan really liked and respected Alpha. He knew that she had to be taken down, but we saw when he killed her, you know, he liked her, you know? Uh... I guess he might have understood her. I don't know. The final scene between Lydia and Negan and her comment, you're still here, along with his for now, leading to a purely paternal hug, was another step in Lydia's acceptance of herself. I think once season 11 rolls around, we're going to see a much more confident, stronger Lydia than the transformation Lydia that we saw in season 10. Uh, so that's that's what I think. Uh, so anyway, uh, just seeing what you guys are talking about on the chats. Royal writes, yes, exactly. Goldie Singh is giving us a big smiley love face. Niza is giving us a thumbs up. Uh... Just looking at what you guys are writing to each other. Love the floating love hearts on Instagram. Uh, Khaleesi on YouTube writes, I absolutely love Lydia. I think she's a fascinating character. Uh, now let's move on to Carol. Carol, I've talked a lot about these two characters and the connection between them in other articles and on social media. But this is one of building relationships that I find the most intriguing a motherless child, and a childless mother. Whose story this season's have changed around the legacy of Alpha? This is a caring between them, even as Carol fights it. As with Negan and Lydia, there is an honesty in the relationship and an understanding. There is a strong desire to connect and a deep fear of what the connection between them Lydia asking Carol if they could still talk sometimes and Carol repeating Lydia's words from earlier in the season about finding her own way, which really has been Lydia's theme this entire season, was bittersweet in some ways. Lydia is able to throw off the emotional and mental chains that has had her tethered to Alpha in part because of Carol and her refusal to let Lydia sacrifice herself. Lydia wants Carol to hate her for Alpha killing Henry, and Carol wants Lydia to hate her for Negan killing Alpha. It's a tragic circle that reaches its end during the cliff scene. The fact that these that it was these two that held each other as they finished the Whisperers was a very fitting end to the Whisperer's arc and hopefully a start to both becoming who they are meant to be. That was a pretty cool article on Lydia. Uh, you know, to me, she's one of the most interesting characters on the show right now. Of course, with Negan, I, you gotta love the relationship 
of uh, between Negan and Lydia. It's just, it's really dynamic between those two. And this article sort of nailed it on the head. It's all based on honesty and how they both feel that they're outsiders in that community. Negan is an outsider. He has a lot more making up to do. And in my own opinion, nothing Negan will ever do can make up for what he did. Nothing. It'll be really interesting to see which of the other characters are willing to move past it. As far as forgiving and maybe forgetting, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. It's just, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see who actually is willing to move past it. The newer characters who were not around when Negan uh, was the leader of the Saviors, for example, Yumiko, Connie, Luke are going to have a much easier time uh, accepting Negan because they did not witness firsthand what he did. They only know of what he did through stories. And we all know that seeing it happen right in front of your eyes and you know, who a person displays what they are in front of you is completely different than hearing it secondhand through stories. Those are the people like Yumiko, Connie, Kelly, Luke, you know, and the others who came on after All Out War that are going to accept Negan. And you can throw into that list Judith as well. Yeah, she was around, but she was a little kid. Uh, So all the bad stuff that she heard that Negan did came from her parents, particularly Michonne uh, and Negan himself. When Judith would come down and visit Negan, he, we know because of what he said to Michonne, he was very honest with her. He told her about how her dad sliced his throat he told her about what he did to glenn and abraham so you know he he's playing it very honest with her and that has earned the respect uh of negan of judith and and vice versa as well anyway mary grab is with us from maryland welcome mary from maryland Laura Moore, Laura sorry, from Instagram has given us a thumbs up. Ziara674 is saying hello on Instagram as well. Furka is also with us on Instagram, as is H4Try, blowing a kiss. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being with us on Instagram. Uh, let's see. Uh, Khaleesi on YouTube writes, I absolutely love the scene with Carol and Lydia. Me too. That was that was a great moment. Uh, so AJ also agrees as well. Stone Walkers writes, I thought Carol was going to die. I was on the edge of my seat. I knew something was going to happen. I knew she wasn't going to die. I would have been shocked if Carol went over that cliff. Uh, I don't know who was going to save her. And I'm glad it was Lydia that did step in and pull her back. As the herd just continued to walk right past him, 
right over the cliff. So anyway, Dan's Reviews is with us on YouTube. Let's get started on tonight's topic, which is the goriest episodes we have seen in the Walking Dead franchise. The gore begins in the second episode titled Guts, which is when we see for the first time the original group of survivors following Rick's advice, hacking up a walker so that Rick and Glenn could cover themselves in walker blood and guts in order to make their way to a truck from the department store. And then seasons three and four, we get a double whammy. In season three, episode four, sorry, we get a double whammy of gory deaths, which include T-Dog, who gets bit on the shoulder, then he sacrifices himself to lead Carol to safety, and he's torn apart by the walkers. Um, and then we also see Maggie giving an emergency C-section to Laurie. Uh, in the season four premiere, the scene in the store where Zack is killed is a gore-fest fe- gore when some of the rotting walkers are splattered as they hit the floor from the supermarket ceiling. You guys remember that? Remember in the uh, premiere of season four, they go into the supermarket, Bob is there, and he tries to get that bottle of liquor, causes a big ruckus, the roof was full of walkers, the roof collapses, and it started raining walkers inside that supermarket. Uh, A walker's head is also squashed by Daryl when he stomps on it. In the second and third episodes of season four, the group uh, are stuck down, are struck down with a virus, and we see multiple reanimations inside the prison, as well as living getting attacked uh, when Patrick takes a chunk out of another man's throat while that man was asleep. Next is uh, episode eight of season four, which is the infamous episode mid-season finale of season four, where the governor makes his final attempt to take the prison, and we lose, well, let me just go ahead and just recount it for you. Uh, The governor swings Michonne's katana into Herschel's neck, which doesn't kill him right away, Uh, The governor then hacks continuously into Herschel's neck as a fatally wounded Herschel tries to crawl away. Eventually, Herschel is decapitated, and we later see his head reanimate. In the season four finale, when Rick, Michonne, and Carl are on their way to Terminus, they come across a lone man crying out for help, as walkers surround him. Carl is the first to act and run toward the scene. He is ready to start shooting the walkers when his father Rick pulls him behind the trees and stops him. There's nothing more they can do as the walkers eat the stranger alive, starting with his cheek and eyeball, which is just torn out of his face. Um... Rick knew there was no saving the guy. Carl wanted to, you know, go in and still try to save him. He was surrounded. Rick knew there was no saving him. He was lost. And uh, he did the right thing by pulling Carl away. So, 
Let's see what you guys are saying. Uh, singer Chick writes out about Lost It when, when Glenn was getting the guts all over him, had feet hanging around his neck, uh, laughing out loud, knew this was going to be my show. And for those that never knew of the comics and just started watching the show, that uh, guts scene that Rick and Glenn cover themselves in in that second episode is uh one of the famous scenes from the comics that people were expecting right off the bat um in that first season of the walking dead i was told about it before i even watched the show as well and i knew to be on the lookout for it and was very it was very cool when you got to see it play out on the screen uh so Let's see, uh, Ziara is uh, saying Maggie's very brave. Maggie is brave. Uh, Praju is giving us a thumbs up on Instagram. Jason Byrne on YouTube says, I'm watching season four at the moment. Lindsay Sparks, yes, talks about Noah. Noah's death has to be the most gruesome in my opinion to date. And the fact that Glenn had to witness it, that just made it even worse. So anyway, going on to season five uh, premiere, which is my favorite episode of The Walking Dead of all time, the Terminus episode. Uh, When members of various survivors who were captured by Gareth and his people at Terminus were positioned over the trough and one by one they are smacked in the back of the head, uh, with a baseball bat before getting their throats cut. It was a slaughter line that the uh, the Terminus people set up to efficiently kill people and turn them into food. And just one of the factors on what made that episode so damn amazing. Um, AJ says season four is the best season for me. Season four was a great season. The gore factor comes into place when we see the blood gushing out of the wound and into the trough. And if you guys watched our interview with Greg Nicotero and Tom Savini, Greg went into detail on exactly how they did the uh, visual effects for that scene in the uh, season five premiere. And what they did is they basically placed the tube around the actor's necks and that tube was attached to a pump. And uh, when the throats got slit, the pump was activated and the blood started gushing. And when they were done filming it and the visual, the you know CGI visual effects people took over, they just removed the tube you know, from being shown on the screen and just blended in the neck. So all we got to see on the show is just a throat being slit. Clever stuff, man. Clever stuff these guys do. Uh, the gore factor comes into play. Again, when we see the, gu- the, the blood gushing, we know this is supposed to look bad by the character's horrified expressions, particularly Daryl, because not a lot scares him or disgusts him, but this definitely bothers him. The gore doesn't end there. Once the walkers have infiltrated the compound, thanks to Carol's rescue tactics, 
we see walkers devouring the people at Terminus, getting exactly what they deserved. This is a scene where a walker who is on fire eats the face of a person lying on the ground while he is still alive. Rick brutally stabs two of their captors at Terminus to death. The gore continues in the third episode. Uh, But before we move on from that episode premiere of season five, that season premiere of season five, man, that look on Rick's face um, after they got out of Terminus safely, uh, about him wanting to go back and make sure none of those guys survive, and the people, uh, you know, Carol, Dow, they all talked him out of it, saying, listen, the walkers are going to get them. Uh, he turned out to be right. They should have gone back. And it cost, uh, it cost them Bob's life. Well, not really, because Bob was already bitten, so he was going to die. But uh, they, they came back. Gareth followed them to the church. They came back to get uh, the Terminus people followed them back to get their revenge. So, you know, just another instance where Rick was right. The other people talked him out of going back and not letting any of them live. Those are the words that Rick used. Uh, And, well, Bob got his leg cut off. That's the famous barbecue. (laughs) Uh, Lindsay Sparks writes, Yep, I agree with you, Viz, about the season five premiere. Uh, the act of violence committed in uh, the church. This is now, again, continuing in episodes uh, three uh, with Bob and so on in the church distresses Father Gabriel. Also in season five, episode 14, this is when Aiden, remember Aiden, Deanna's son, gets impaled after an explosion during a supply run at the store and Noah is trapped with Glenn and Nicholas in that famous revolving door. This is, of course, where Noah suffers that gruesome death. When Michael Trainer, who plays Nicholas, escapes through the door. And when we had Michael on the show, <laughs> he, uh, he explained it beautifully. He said that he was the hero in that scene. And... Uh, but yeah, Noah told Glenn not to let go, and he, the way Michael explained it, Nicholas was just going to get help, and uh, you know he said hashtag Glenn let go, and that's why Noah got killed, not because of Nicholas, it was Glenn's fault. He was kidding, but it was funny as shit though. Uh, now moving on in ep- in season six, episode two. There are a number of notably gory moments, one of which is in a flashback showing Enid's parents being devoured by walkers while Enid watches from inside the car. Um, There is also when the wolves attack Alexandria. That's such an awesome sequence of events there. We see them butchering people in the streets and inside their homes without any mercy. Carol had to put a woman down after she was slashed across the abdomen and ultimately disemboweled. In the very next episode that follows, we see Nicholas getting ripped apart after he shoots himself in the head. 
And this is the famous scene that they wanted us to believe or at least wonder when Nicholas shoots himself in this in the head when him and Glenn are standing on top of the dumpster and Nicholas falls, dragging Nicholas dragging dragging Glenn down with him as well. And the way that scene was shot left us all wondering if that was Glenn that was being eaten alive. Luckily for Glenn at that point, it wasn't. Nicholas landed right on top of him and it gave Glenn the opportunity to crawl under the dumpster and wait it out while the walkers had their feast with Nicholas. Uh, So anyway, moving on, the two other... Uh, There were two other survivors from Alexandria who were eaten alive by walkers in this episode. Uh, They were David, who couldn't make it over the fence with Michonne's group. The other was Annie, who trips and falls while they're fleeing the walkers. And, you know, she died bravely. She She tripped, fell. She wasn't asking for help, if you guys remember that scene in season six. She was telling the rest of them to go. The walkers were on her legs. She knew she was done for. And uh, she was telling them to just go. Just go. I'm done. I'm done. Leave me. Save yourself. Um, So, let's see. Uh, We're almost out of time. I just want to get through a couple more of these. Uh... Now, in this season, also season six, episode nine, which is the mid-season premiere, Alexandria is overrun by walkers. Jesse and her son, Sam, are eaten alive, and Rick had to chop off Jesse's arm to free Carl from her hand grip. Ron then accidentally shoots Carl because the person he really wanted to shoot was Rick. Uh, Ron saw Rick, well, he didn't see, but Rick killed his father, Pete. He was abusing his wife and kids. And, of course, Ron blamed Rick for that. And then, of course, Ron blamed Rick when they covered themselves in blood guts to try to get to the walkers that have infiltrated Alexandria. But Sam had to blow it, you know. He couldn't keep quiet. The walkers started eating him. That led to Jesse started screaming. Then the walkers ate her. Ron pulls his gun. And long story short, Carl loses an eye. Um, Now, seven, season seven opener, Negan kills Abraham and Glenn. We don't need to rehash that. We all know that episode very well. The premiere of season seven. The mid-season finale of season seven, Spencer is disemboweled in front of the Alexandria community by Negan when he had plotted to take over Rick's leadership by proposing that Negan kill Rick. Of course, Negan had no respect for that. He disemboweled him right then and there with a huge-ass knife. And as his guts are spilling out from the inside of him, he's like, hey, you do have guts. You know, he saw him as a coward, and he was. You know, Spencer was a coward. Um, Khaleesi writes, love that scene of Ron and Jesse. That was a, 
sorry, Khaleesi writes, Sam and Jesse, I mean. Yeah, a lot of people were upset with little Sam on that one. Uh, Trippy on Instagram writes, it's stoned, I just followed you, Viz. So Trippy switched from YouTube over to Instagram. That's cool. Uh, Praju is also with us on Instagram as well. On Instagram, Ziara is so sad that The Walking Dead is ending. I don't see it as ending. It's still two years away. It's expanding. We're still going to be, you know, we're still going to have uh, a lot of the characters. So I don't really see it as ending. Uh, season 10, episode 12, Alpha is killed by Negan, slitting her throat. Epic scene that they chose to follow to the letter and how it was done in the comic books. A lot of people love that scene. I love that scene when Negan slashed Alpha's throat. That was very beautifully done. And just one of those moments that, you know, you know, Negan knew what he had to do. He knew Alpha had to be killed. But the look on his face, it hurt him that he did it. It really did bother him. So, anyway, guys, those are just some of the goriest moments on The Walking Dead. And I believe when it comes to a single episode, this finale that we got uh, earlier this month, the season 10 finale, was really awesome in the amount of gore that we got to see inflicted by the zombies on the show in a single episode of The Walking Dead. Uh, we saw some full-on zombie feasts in the season 10 finale. Uh, both Whisperers, community members, getting full-on devoured in that huge horde of walkers as everybody tried to make their way through. So that's just one element that made the season 10 finale so great, as well as Beta's death being epic as well so anyway guys thank you so much for tuning in tonight uh please go to our website deadtalklive.com visit us on youtube our channel's name is called walking dead now i'm on every night except sundays when there is a walking dead show don't forget our two guests coming up next week michael abbott jr who starred in the season 6 premiere of Fear of the Walking Dead, as well as Olivia. Uh, Anne Mahoney is going to be with us October 29th. And a lot more uh, guest announcements coming very soon, so stay tuned. Always check our website for the latest guests. It gets updated as soon as we get confirmations. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow night. I want all you guys to stay safe, stay well, and always stay walking.